You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 273rd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 892nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of December 8th, 2022. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. Well, obviously the Hoosiers rebounded nicely last night with a big win over Nebraska, but I want to spend a little bit of time here reflecting on what happened in the game before that against Rutgers. And, you know, on the one hand, nothing that happened in Piscataway suggested that this Indiana team is on any type of track toward a banner. But the reality is that Saturday's game represented just one 40-minute data point in a season that will have at least 32 of them in total, meaning it will ultimately amount to, at most, 3% of this team's entire body of work. And given that Indiana has already beaten a top 30 team on the road this season and rebounded on Wednesday night with that solid Big Ten victory that they controlled from tip to buzzer, there is a chance that Indiana's lopsided loss to the Scarlet Knights ends up representing merely one bad afternoon of basketball against a program that has had our number rather than any kind of menacing harbinger of future doom. Consider that last season's national champion, Kansas, lost by 18 at home to Kentucky and later lost by double digits at TCU. Baylor won the title the year prior. They lost two games all season. One was a 13-point defeat to a Kansas team that ended up ranked just a few spots ahead of where Rutgers is right now, and the other was to an Oklahoma State team ranked below where Rutgers is now. The champion before that was Virginia, which suffered two double-digit losses en route to the title. The year prior was Villanova, which lost regular season games to teams ranked 30th, 63rd, and 74th, and on and on. Point being, it's a long season. And bad losses happen even to championship-level teams. And look, I am not going to believe that this Indiana team is truly national championship caliber until shooting performances like what we saw last night become the norm rather than the scintillating exception. But it is useful to be reminded of how relatively harmless a quad one road loss in December can ultimately be, assuming these Hoosiers take the lessons from that game to heart and show up better in future Big Ten road games. And only time will tell on that. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Uh, Ryan is off tonight. He is crunching the advanced stats and lineup permutations to figure out how the Padres can somehow fit Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis and Xander Bogarts into one infield. It's completely ridiculous. It is completely ridiculous. What it must be like to cheer for a baseball team that actually spends money and does stuff in the offseason. None of the people on this panel know anything about that. Uh, Coach, also off tonight, he is joining thousands of other IU fans in Sin City for the weekend. That is right. Viva Las Vegas. He did, however, send us this recording 
of the meetup that he and Amy had on the roof of Caesar's Palace with Galen Clavio and Scott Caulfield, who were also out in Vegas this weekend. Here, take a listen. Four of us wolves running around the desert together in Las Vegas looking for strippers and carrots. <laughs> yes, strippers and carrots. The dynamic duo of Las Vegas debauchery. Hopefully they all enjoy some good, clean fun this weekend. But here with me, brimming with hot takes after missing the last few postgame shows, is the Nick Sirianni of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and a bracketologist who looms over all others like he's Chris Stapp's Porzingis. It's a man who knows a little something about good, clean fun. The best of you sports coaching, you know that we got them. When it comes to analytic trends, you know he can spot them. For first-class bracketology, you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you gotta go bottoms. If you want the top, you are gonna let it all play. I haven't heard that song in a little while. When Andy jumped on to StreamYard earlier, I was jamming to that song. <laughs> I was awkwardly listening to it by myself when he popped on. It's a, it's a great song that Bob Thompson did. Haven't heard it. Uh, Andy, what is your bottoms line on these last two Big Ten performances by Indiana? Yeah, I got to tell you, last thing I expected when I popped on was to hear to see you alone <laughs> in that song playing. I'd like to tell myself that you were just doing some kind of sound check and making sure that you had it queued up and ready to play. But there's a part of me that wonders we'll go with that. how often, how often you listen to it. Uh, but anyway, um, no, I mean, a lot has happened since, uh, since I've been on uh, after the North Carolina game, uh, the, the Rutgers loss, you know, you guys broke it down and, and even what you said to start the show tonight is one that, uh, while disappointing, it doesn't mean that the season is over. And I think everybody was obviously disappointed to lose, but more the fashion in which they lost. Um, and some of the things that, that really did them in in that game, they turned around and, and were able to, to rectify, albeit against a different opponent, uh, in the, the friendly confines of Assembly Hall. And so what you have to start to see is for those things to, to travel with them, uh, for guys like Tamar Bates to be able to step up and make those threes that he did there, uh, in a, you know, and not get sped up in the game, uh, at Rutgers. I thought this, the, the, the moment and the pressure of what was going on really, um, you know, we, I think we sent around a, a clip that I think Tony put together of, of a number of wide open shots and the shot form in a lot of cases was just rushed and it led to some kind of odd finishes where guys were and just, um, and, and so I thought it was good that they were able to bounce back and really control things from start to finish, uh, for the most part against the Nebraska game. And, and I think, probably good that Nebraska had beaten Creighton coming into that. So there was no potential for overlooking them, despite the fact of what, what usually happens And Nebraska is very much a momentum based team. They get a few shots to go in. They really spread you out. Uh, if they have somebody get hot, they're going to keep going to that and, and can really things can start to snowball if you, if you let it. And I thought IU with maybe a couple small exceptions really was able to stem the tide anytime Nebraska got a run together. And I think defensively played well enough to, uh, you know, keep them at bay and would hit big shots when they needed to, would have a, a quick spurt of their own, build the lead back up and go from there. So you know, finish these Big Ten games one and one. Uh, I think you always look at these December games as that's the, the minimum that you want to be and, and probably fair to be disappointed in losing to Rutgers, although Rutgers nearly beat Ohio State tonight. Uh, lost on a three at the buzzer, which explains the um, surprise look on my face shortly after we went live. <laughs> I was watching the end of it on my phone. Um, 
so I think they're a team that that has a formula and, and one that's worked well against IU, but against other teams as well. So uh, I don't know that it, you know, it's certainly not going to look like a terrible loss at the end of the season. Uh, and maybe we'll be able to forget a little bit about how, how that loss actually came together. Um, but, but big opportunities ahead in these next two games, the last two non-conference uh, games that really will move the needle. And so um, some exciting games to come and, and hopefully a chance to build some momentum heading into the rest of the Big Ten schedule. Yeah, for sure. Hey, man, this is just an exciting time for IU sports. The IU women, uh, just before we went live, uh, pulled off. That was a road game, right? At Penn State, yep, I believe. at Penn State. Yep, yep I was so there at the Penn end State. Of it. Yeah, they uh, held them off. I think Penn State got within six or seven down the stretch, but the IU got a got a bucket and uh, and made some free throws and uh, ended up ended up winning. So two and zero in the in the Big Ten, continuing to just uh, roll right along. There are no style points on the road in the Big Ten, men or women, especially when you're playing without one of your best players. Man, the IU women just keep rolling on. Uh, just a terrific team, fun to watch. Uh, and obviously the men's soccer team participating in the College Cup. Uh, our very own uh, Aaron Schifrin, you know him as Ari, uh, he is there. He will have coverage. Uh, he provides that coverage uh, inside of our private community. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. But a lot happening here uh, with IU sports as we uh, – as we get into the middle of December here. Uh, but here's what we have in store for you tonight on the show. We'll talk a little bit more about Rutgers in Nebraska and just kind of some of the the macro issues right now with this uh, Indiana men's basketball program. And then in segment two, we will be joined by Matt Cox of Three Man Weave. We are going to dive into an IU-Arizona preview, the third of Indiana's four big non-conference games. Of course, the Hoosiers won the first two at Xavier against North Carolina. Now they have a chance to get a really important neutral court victory over Arizona. We'll talk about the matchups, talk about what that game will look like. And then we have a fun mailbag planned in segment three. We uh, bravely put out a call for questions on Twitter, and you all didn't disappoint. So we've got a lot of uh, kind of random and ridiculous questions about basketball, some not about basketball, and so we will have some fun with that in the mailbag. All of that is coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. Oh, yes, this edition of Assembly Car Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, as I knock my water over, presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you will find anywhere. They have beloved logos like two different versions of the Bison and controversial logos like the Oval, which apparently our good friend Galen Clavio is wearing on the airplane because he tweeted out that he was getting lots of comments uh, about the Oval. Um, and really, you know, that is what happens when you wear home field apparel shirts. You are going to get comments because they're always really unique, interesting logos. And so college sports fans or especially, you know, fans or alums of whatever school you're wearing, always going to come up to you. Uh, and I mean, I've had I get so many comments about the bison, you know, hoodie when I'm wearing it uh, because their stuff just looks cool and it catches the eye. And even better, all of their materials are really comfortable, whether it's the hoodie or the crew neck or the T-shirt. Uh, and it's high-quality stuff, so the colors last through many washings. Their customer service is great, and it's an Indiana-based company based right there in Indianapolis. Connor went to Indiana, came up through the Kelly School of Business, so just all around a wonderful company to support and a great place to go for your Christmas shopping because you really can get something for everybody at Homefield Apparel. So go to homefieldapparel.com, use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, and you will get 15% off your first order. That's promo code HOME. For 15% off, once again, the website, homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. 
All right, Andy. So let's talk a little bit more about Rutgers and Nebraska. You know, and I think what's really interesting about these two games is, you know, I heard a lot of, oh, man, Rutgers really showed the blueprint for how to beat Indiana. And I'm thinking to myself, what, the same blueprint teams have been using for four years against Trace Jackson Davis, which is pack the paint against Indiana's best player. Don't let them go to option A and force guys to make shots. And in the Rutgers game, Indiana didn't make shots, you know, and I think Mike Woodson, look, he had a point in the postgame press conference where he's like, you know, guys, at some point you just have to step up and make open shots. And, you know, I, I think there were some different things Indiana maybe could have tried uh, to get guys more comfortable because I think the issue in that game is it wasn't just that there were open shots to make. It's that the team didn't really seem to be in the mindset or have the mental toughness on that afternoon to do what it took to win that game, right? They come home, you're playing against Nebraska. Nebraska essentially tries a very similar strategy, you know, of not letting Trace Jackson Davis get going. And in that game, Tamar Bates has a career game hitting five threes. Trey Galloway, you know, hits four threes and has Zach Osterman talking about how he's like Kobe Bryant, which was a very funny tweet, by the way. And I really appreciate that Zach just kind of left it out there and didn't really let people know if he was joking or not. That provided a lot of comedy. But, you know, the thing is, I'm guessing if you told Fred Hoiberg before that game, hey, Trace Jackson Davis is only going to take six shots, uh, and Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway are each going to attempt more threes than Trace Jackson Davis attempts field goals, I'm guessing he would have taken that. But Indiana busted the scouting report, got a great performance from those two guys, and won by 16. And so I think the real question now is, you know, where's the truth for this Indiana team? right? You kind of want to find the happy medium between these two extremes. You obviously can't play like you did at Rutgers and you can't shoot like you did at Rutgers. But you also know that what happened against Nebraska, I mean, unless Tamar Bates is truly ready to just, you know, explode as an all Big Ten level player and, you know, Trey Galloway is, you know, here to be the next Damon Bailey, you're probably not going to get that repeated. So what is the happy medium for this team? You know, I like the fact that they're starting to take more threes, even though it's, you know, it's one of the things that I think is kind of dictated by the defense. And this team has been good all season at taking what the defense gives them. But now what kind of becomes the consistent level? You know, where, how do, where does water find its level for this team offensively? And I think that's going to be a real open question as we move forward. Because I think Rutgers, we all hope, was rock bottom. Nebraska, probably not a repeatable model. Um, and so what happens here as we move forward? You're muted, Andy. Yep, I thought I, I thought I hit it once and it didn't work. Um, it, it's tough to say because I think, I think most teams are going to apply that same formula. I think Rutgers is perhaps uniquely qualified to do it, just based on the way they defend and how physical they are. Um, and sure, there's some teams that that are going to be able to come close to replicating that over the course of the Big Ten schedule. But I think one of the things in that game was IU played so poorly on the defensive glass gave up so many easy baskets and let the environment get away from you that I think the weight of needing to make those open shots felt a little bit different versus last night. IU gets off to a good start. Um, you know, Galloway scores some points early. Everything's kind of free and easy, which is a little bit part of just a function of, of playing from home, uh, quite honestly. But um, I, I think you, I think you look at that and, and finding ways to, to not get, totally punched in the mouth and behind at the beginning of the game makes those shots a little bit lower stress situations, I, I would say. But 
Um, you know, I think I think what you can look at with these is I, I probably take more away from Galloway uh, last night and, and Miller Cop maybe in, in in both games, whereas Cop is a guy who you know finally seems comfortable, um, and I guess easy to feel comfortable when you're shooting the ball that well. But they're still not really running a ton of stuff for him. Um, but he's showing a little bit more versatility as opposed to just standing in the corner and shooting putting the ball on the floor a little bit, able to score uh, that way. And I think he's, you know, you string together a, a couple solid games like he is. I think, you know, he becomes a guy that the defense says, all right, I, that's a guy that I can't leave. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then I think Galloway, uh, the shooting has certainly improved. A lot of been discussed about, you know, his, his shot form and different things like that looking better. I think what I take away from his is just the the calming influence that he was. And it's, it's kind of odd because he gets labeled as the you know the crazy man. I think was the the thought of the one game. I think that was the North Carolina game. They talked about that yeah. with him, but he was really the guy yesterday. And and I think you and and Coach Marlowe and, and Ryan brought this up on the show last night was a guy who just did what he needed to do and ran the team. Uh, and I think I texted you guys that at one point that X was just so far out of control, trying to do too much, just run the team be a calming influence and, and do that. And I think Trey, while he doesn't play that way defensively, I think on the offensive end, having another guy who can really settle things down and get IU into what it wants to do can help you get better shots um, and, and maybe figure out what the right balance is between bombing threes like they did against Nebraska um, and, and really getting stifled the way that they did against Rutgers. I, I thought if he can build on that part of it, the, the scoring – you know, set the scoring aside. I thought his, you know, as important as anything was his ability to settle things down. Uh, the scoring was really an added bonus. Yeah. I mean, Trey's offensive game has really shown a lot of development. You know, we've talked about the shooting and, you know, Tony put together a video, Tony or coach put together a video of how his mechanics just look better. Like you, you can just tell, like he just looks, everything looks better when he shoots it. And I think last year in his freshman season, I felt like at times he would get caught up on offense. Like, you know, I want to do something. I want to be this kinetic presence. And that was really helpful at times, you know, having a second ball handler to attack. The issue was he couldn't really contribute from a shooting perspective. And so it felt like he would kind of force things and it would lead to turnovers at times. And that's been the thing. I think he has like one turnover this season. Like it's been insane how much he has played, how much he has handled the ball. And he's just not turning it over. You know, when you add in, you know, the extra efficiency of the three point shots that he's able to take. I mean, that's an entirely new dimension that he brings now where, I mean, you, I mean, based on what we saw against Nebraska and what we've seen in, in a few other games, I mean, you've got a legit kind of third guy in addition to X, in addition to Jalen Huchofino when he's healthy, you know, who can be that kind of lead ball handler when you need him. And so that's huge. But, you know, I want to linger a little bit on what you said about Miller Cop because he's really been a revelation these last two games. Um, and he's done it in different ways. Against Rutgers, it was stepping up and knocking down the three-pointers. And then the byproduct of that is now teams aren't going to let him, you know, just have those wide open threes. And he was very comfortable going off the dribble and hitting some mid-range shots, uh, you know. And so I think for Miller, it has really felt in a lot of games like he waits for the opportunities to come to him. And what's been really nice to see in both the Rutgers game and the Nebraska game is it never felt like he forced anything but it's kind of like he seized the opportunities a little bit more, right? Like he wasn't waiting to just be wide open to uncork a three-pointer. He was ready to shoot or he was ready to attack. 
And if he becomes a more dynamic presence on offense, not just a guy who's standing in the corner to shoot threes, but who can actually attack a closeout, and maybe that you know puts him in position to get an offensive rebound and just provides a little bit more, that to me is what was it, 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 that was the best part about the Nebraska game is it was a different formula to win. And you know, no, I don't necessarily think that particular formula is repeatable, but one of the themes of the season has been doing it different ways. You know, against Xavier, it was Trace Jackson Davis being a superstar and X being awesome. And those two guys carried us. North Carolina was different. Nebraska was a little bit different. And this has been a program for many years that has had basically one, maybe one and a half ways to win games. And it feels like it's on the offensive end. And it feels like now there's just more dynamism. There's more ways for them to do things. Um, and I think you really saw that in Miller Cop and Trey Galloway, especially last night. Yeah, I mean, you're not setting out with what happened last night as the formula for how you want to play, but to be able to pivot to that if you need to or be able to to trust uh, so many different guys who played well against Nebraska. And so it's it's one of those where you're probably trying not to – everything isn't as doom and gloom from an offensive standpoint as it was against Rutgers in the aftermath of that, and everything probably isn't as rosy as it feels like after last night watching – uh, you know, Galloway and Tamar Bates and Cop play well again. And, and TJ DBs, you know, post a triple double and be so, uh, you know, versatile and such a good passer. But the, the passing um, is obviously of paramount importance from Trace. I mean, if he's going to get doubled the way that he was uh, really in both these last two games, and I think it was Ryan talked about last night, you know, how you've seen him make adjustments to how he dribbles and passes out of double teams over the course of his career. I mean, that's something that he has to do, whether that, you know, again, that's not plan a is not, you know, how do I funnel the ball through him so he can distribute it to other guys, but you have to be able to do that. And I think, you know, your point about this team being able to to play different ways or succeed in different ways um, is a good one because I mean, you're right. If, if trace gets limited to 12 points on six shots, which again, kind of take the, you know, the other numbers away from that, there's a whole lot of games this team is not even close in uh, in recent years. Uh, if you're not, you know, how many times have we come on and lamented him not getting enough shots and uh, and different things like that. I mean, that that's that's happened a lot of times over the course of his career because the importance of getting him the ball was there's nothing else to do. There's no place else to turn. Um, and so I think that puts things on on tape for other teams to have to adjust to. And I think Cop is one they'll adjust to. Um, uh, maybe more than what they'll do with Galloway. I think he's still a guy that teams are going to force uh, him to prove that, you know, the Nebraska game is not an aberration in terms of how he's shooting the ball. And the fact that he's been an effective driver makes him a guy that they're going to sit back of, off of a little bit. But I think cop is one that if you think about from a scouting report standpoint, how teams are viewing him after these couple recent games, because this is what a lot of people expected from him. Quite honestly, I think that's what people were, disappointed to a certain extent uh, with how he played a year ago, because these are some of the things that we saw him do at Northwestern. And for whatever reason, maybe things are starting to click now, who knows what it is, but I think you, you kind of put what he's done historically at Northwestern and now what he started to do here, that's a guy who changes the way that teams have to play him. And I is going to have to adjust again to what they're doing that way. The Galloway is probably less uh, of that at this point. I think Tamar Bates even less than that. Uh, they're still going to give him the shots that he's getting. But the good news is they've been able to knock him down and, and hopefully head into these situations with confidence. And, you know, the Arizona game is going to be a free-flowing one. You're going to get lots of those 
you know, kinds of looks in transition. And those are huge shots to make in a big game like that that can really swing momentum and get things on your side to be able to get a, you know, kick out threes in transition is going to be huge for this team. And so if they, those guys can step up and knock them in, um, that'll go a long way toward determining uh, how that game shakes out for sure. I can't wait for that game, man. <laughs> that game is going to be <laughs> after watching Arizona a couple times in Maui. I just thought to myself, man, that game is going to be so much fun. And so, on that note, coming up on Assembly Call Radio as we get into segment two, it is time to dive into Indiana's upcoming Vegas tilt against Arizona. Matt Cox from Three Man Weave is here to do it. Stick around. That's coming up next. And there he is, ladies and gentlemen. What's happening, Mr. Cox? Gentlemen, absolute pleasure. An honor and privilege. How are we? We are good, man. How are you? Good. I should have taken down the other three what uh, a, I mean, player, player what items. A, what a collection of uh, yeah. defendants I there. I was Duke. like, crap, my desk is in front of my closet. I need to decorate it in a matter <laughs> yeah. of 48 hours. And I was like, all right, Duke and Indiana, I'll kind of you know open myself yeah. up to the benedict arnold nature of my fandom and then hawaii and mississippi state mississippi valley state you can't get more random than that so who's the other one who's who's the other one next to mississippi valley state hawaii Hawaii. oh hawaii oh very nice okay everyone likes hawaii right no one has like any beef with uh yeah i can't imagine yeah i can't imagine yeah those don't really bring out any strong emotions like Like, if hawaii ever comes to assembly hall there won't be any visceral animosity (laughs) from the uh, the local patrons no maybe some jealousy but not (laughs) uh yeah Yeah. not animosity oh so you guys play basketball in hawaii that's good yeah Yeah. (laughs) must be terrible uh okay let's uh let's hop into segment two here gotta do a little intro and then let's talk iu arizona because this game fascinates me all right here we go Hi, this is A.J. Moye. What's the only thing better than upsetting Duke in the Sweet 16? Celebrating it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach for the assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, A.J. Man, can you imagine if we were doing the assembly call after that game? I don't even know if I would have been able to formulate words for the first 15 minutes of that show. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms, and we have a special guest on hand. It is Matt Cox from Three Man Weave, and we are going to talk here in just a moment about the IU-Arizona game that is coming up this weekend. Before we do that, though, uh, I do want to mention our sponsor, our main segment tonight, brought to you by a new sponsor on the show. It's True Blood Real Estate. Jim True Blood, who founded and runs True Blood Real Estate, longtime friend of mine, actually the first guy that ever went to an NCAA tournament with. Uh, he's been helping people in Indiana buy and sell properties since 2006. So he's been doing this for a while. And starting this season, True Blood Real Estate is the exclusive and official real estate partner of IU Athletics with a team of talented agents to serve you in Bloomington and throughout Indiana. If you are looking to buy or sell real estate in Indiana, you need to experience the True Blood Advantage. Go to TrueBloodRE.com to learn more. That's TrueBloodRE.com and tell them that the assembly call sent you. All righty. Well, gentlemen, we have been waiting for this moment for a while. Ever since this game was scheduled, the IU-Arizona game on a neutral court, kind of a big showcase game for Indiana, the kind of games that we haven't been playing in and the kind of game that now we get to play in. 
Uh, and I've watched Arizona a little bit. You know, I watched a couple of their games in Maui, but we have assembled a team of guys who know uh, much more about this team. Obviously, our very own Andy Bottoms and Matt Cox from Three Man Weave. Matt, welcome to the show. Uh, it's awesome to have you here with us. Hey, awesome to be on. I'm a uh, I'm a regular listener until this season. I'll be honest, I haven't I haven't been a daily uh, a routine uh, contributor. I apologize, but I'm trying to get back on the saddle. So, okay. Well, hopefully there are many fun episodes to uh, to listen to here moving forward. And give folks I mean, who don't excited about a, a post game show against for, after the Jackson State game, Matt. I mean, I don't really know what to tell you. I mean, that's you know really. <laughs> Maybe I was just so turned off from my first appearance with uh, with Coach that I just basically shunned you guys. So, Fair are, are, Fair are, is there a pod war beef in, in the IU podcasting community? Is that a real thing, or is everyone kind of friends behind the scenes? Uh, I would say most IU podcasts are friends nice. behind the scenes. So, so we most. have some black sheep out there. Good, yes. good, good. Most, Makes it fun, right? Most most are very friendly and supportive of all podcasts, which is good. good. Um, so you have a podcast, obviously, Three Man Weave, and you guys have exciting news that you have a YouTube channel now. Uh, a lot of our folks are watching on YouTube, and so we highly recommend that you go subscribe to their YouTube channel. What's the best way to find that? Just search for Three Man Weave on YouTube? Just go to Three Man Weave on Twitter. Uh, I think we oh. have that pin there. I'll talk to... Kai, our my colleague and the de facto CEO of all things admin within our group. Um, but yeah, he was just like, hey, guys, we should do a YouTube thing. And I was like, yeah, it's a pretty good idea. So he just set it up and it was about that much thought that went into it. So yeah, next, I think like every Wednesday we'll be doing it live. Cool. Time's not even confirmed yet. So yeah, clearly a lot of moving parts here. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys put out the almanac. I mean, the season started. Like, there's a lot happening. A lot going on. A lot going on. Too many teams. That's the issue with doing being a generalist in this sport is there's not, you know, I don't know how you do it, man. (laughs) I know. I've kind of tried to section off like seven leagues that just don't matter. I'm like, okay, I can do 20 leagues or I can do, I can't do 30. Yeah, no, you can't. All right. Let's dive in and talk about this game. They say styles make fights. I think the way that these two teams like to play, the personnel, uh, is going to make for a really fun game. So, Matt, give us your just kind of initial impression of the kind of game that we're likely to see and kind of maybe who has certain advantages in certain matchups. You know, I think just the timing of this game sets up really well for IU. I, I think we talked preseason um, looking at the schedule, right, where you had North Carolina, Arizona, and Kansas. You like to come away, what, you know, one and two, two and one. The UNC game ended up being a runaway. UNC had a – I think their current form had some – they were a part of that, right? IU played very well, but I think you have to look at that and say, yeah, UNC wasn't, wasn't right, and maybe they just weren't what we thought what we thought they were. Arizona is a little bit sluggish right now. So I think that's before you get to like the whole matchup X and O thing. I, I think we're catching them at the right time. I think we're starting to improve. They're seeing some pieces gelling the rotations in the pecking order of what Woodson's doing. They're starting to kind of solidify at least to some degree. Um, but Arizona, they've had some, the, the Maui hangover is a real dynamic. We've seen a lot of teams come back and struggle, not just the first game of games after they've come back. Um, you know, I think Tyus and Tate talk about how the Maui bump where you go there, every shot goes in, the rims are like glue. It just, it, everything looks more. Wow. So Arizona, phenomenal team. I do think there's a bit of a hangover that just listening and reading a lot about what, what, uh, Tommy Lloyd's talked about coming out of the last couple of games since the Island, they're not all the way in sync. So, um, there's a chance we see a kind of just a dud performance from Arizona or just maybe one that's not as dominant as what you were used to seeing in Maui. Um, so I think the timing of this matchup is actually very intriguing and very beneficial to IU. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as you talk about that, since they've come back, you know, the first game back from that was their only loss, got beat by 15 at Utah. They bounced back to beat 
uh, Cal only by 13. I mean, Cal I didn't is, look good and, in that game. Yeah, yeah, Cal is an abomination at this right. point. But um, Louisville yeah. level abomination. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, maybe worse. Yeah, it's those two should get. really, really duke it out for the, <laughs> the worst power conference team <laughs> at this point. I mean, when you look at when you look at some of the the statistical numbers, you know, North or Arizona is first in adjusted tempo on Ken Palm, second in offensive efficiency, first in effective field goal percentage, first in, in two point percentage. Yep. Um, you know, don't shoot a ton of threes, which is a little bit, um, you know, counter to what what most teams are doing at this point. Um, only about a third of their their field goal attempts come from there. So, but they, when they do shoot it from there, they they shoot it relatively well. Um, you know. Matt, I'm sure you've probably watched more of Arizona this year than I have because I'm kind of like Jared. I've really watched a, more in, in Maui than than other than that. I mean, who are the the, the two guys that maybe IU really has to slow down? I mean, it feels like it's it's Ballo and, and Creesa, uh, or maybe the yeah. easy answers. But uh, would you go with those two, or is there somebody else that IU maybe needs to worry about that that might provide some matchup challenges? Right. I think the X factors for them are kind of like for in many ways, these two teams are mere images of each other, just in how they're built personnel wise. Now, how we play Indiana plays, how Arizona plays is different. Like, I think we've opened up the transition attack this season, but like Tommy Lloyd is like Gonzaga light, right? They want to play as fast as they can, but they don't play it with like small ball pace, right? It's two big lineups. So they have bigs that can run. They get to their spots early. They seal. And there's like a real, you know, a, a real, purpose to how they fast break and how they operate out of that which is what's so effective and why that system has been so good why he took arizona from good to great so quickly um with talent albeit not like blue chip talent i think the two bellas ballo versus race tjd uh malik call that a wash you can kind of nitpick on who's better but i think we match up well with that i'm not worried about a bloodbath inside i don't think they're worried about it from from their angle either i think the the x factors to them are pelly larson and courtney ramey when ramey debuted he was kind of a boon to that offense for Arizona. Like, yeah, I think he was an X factor shot maker that that team needed, which really lacked dynamism in the perimeter. Again, you could kind of make the same take about Indiana's perimeter, right? We have pieces in, in our backcourt, but obviously we operate best inside out and, and we're at our best when our guards play well, but it's not always consistent. So I think there's a lot of parallels there. And if we can take away, Ramey and takeaway Larson, which in many ways they're both kind of feast or famine guys. Larson's been kind of inconsistent lately. Ramey's historically been inconsistent, even though he's been good this year. I don't know if you've anyone watched Texas play the last few years. That's kind of his MO, a little bit of volatility baked in this game. Uh, Ramey and, Z- and, and X actually remind me a lot of each other. Um, mm. Ramey's more of a shooter. X is more of a tenacious driver, but just their, the way they can take over a game with their irrational confidence, um, you know, they can just swing a game one way or the other. Right. So, that's, I think, the fascinating matchup to me. If we see those two, both like emotional lightning bolts, you know, I can see some John go, going back and forth if, uh, if Woodson pins X on Ramey for sure. How concerned are you from Indiana's perspective if Jalen Hushafino isn't able to play? Which Very seems concerned, likely. right? Like, I think you look at, if you're an outsider, you look at the Kempom page, like, oh, Hushafino, okay, he's been inefficient this year, you know, freshman lulls, they'll be fine without him. It's like, no, 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 you watch this team. I think the eye test really pops with how important he is as a complement to X and a timely substitute interchange for X, right? So, and just having another guy who can out and who can create and get in the lane and make stuff happen, um, his defensive presence, how good he is in transition, which in this game is so important. Like I look at IU's rotation of guards, and I think Woodson has sort of this dilemma where he has to need he needs to play certain guys in certain styles and other guys in other styles. 
And I think, I mean, Galloway is one example, but but really, Huchifina, he's so good in transition. That's where he thrives. Yeah. Uh, and I think you like to have him here, man. I think he'd be a guy who could get you, you know, three, four runouts off misses. Um, he's not going to be overwhelmed by the speed of the game. I think he has the obviously the talent to, to play with Arizona. So I, yeah, he'll be a big miss. I, I would. What's the prognosis? Um, sounds pretty ominous from what I've been hearing. There's not really much of one. I guess he's had you know some back issues dating back to high school that flare up every now right. and then, and it sounds Backs like this always one's the worst, man. slightly yeah, worse than what's normal for him. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know, but it doesn't sound like he's going to be ready to play Saturday. Yeah, that's troubling. Um, I mean, we're right. If I mean Miller Cop Miller Time keeps shooting the lights out, we'll we'll probably be fine. But again, this is a matchup where. As good as Miller's played so far, I think he's actually better suited for Big Ten matchups than some of the uh, more frenetic up and down tempo, which is this is like the absolute extreme of that. Um, I, yeah. I'd expect to see, I'd like to see more Geronimo Galloway minutes at the expense of Miller. As good as Miller's shot, it sounds stupid, like you kind of want to ride that hot hand, but I think the the speed and the two-way versatility that Galloway and Geronimo bring I think Woodson needs to tap into that and give them a fair shake uh, early in this matchup. I'm glad you brought yeah, that up because Geronimo is really, I mean, I put it out on Twitter. I said, I'm calling my shot. I think this is a Geronimo game Yeah, because you know, he's, he can provide rim protection and transition, which is really important in a game like this. I don't know how much he'll score, but he's a guy who can score on garbage buckets, get out in transition. Yep. And he really seemed to get lost in the Rutgers and the Nebraska games, you know, playing good old Big Ten Too basketball. Right, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And this is more like an NCAA tournament style game where, you know, we saw him thrive in that environment, you know, last year. And so this yep. really seems to me like a big spot, not only kind of tailor made for, you know, him to succeed in, but kind of one where I think he needs to if Indiana's going to win. Yes. And I think long term, you look at how the rotate. I love that Bates is making shots, right? I just think his confidence is going to, like, there will be a momentous, like, upswing of that. That should carry him throughout the year. I am I feel so good about him being, like, a key part of the rotation. We talked about it, me and Andy, uh, first time I was on the show. It's like, that's kind of the guy. He's kind of stuck. Miller, you could argue he's going to maybe regress in his shooting, but I like that we kind of have two reliable cogs, um, and you can kind of pull the Geronimo pull the Galloway levers when you need to. I think this is one spot where you need to do it, but we're in a spot now with the rotation with how well Bates has played, um, how well, how well Miller's played that you kind of have two quasi rocks there alongside X. And that's just such a, to me as an Indiana fan who watched the rotation sort of throw whatever, what, you know, throw it at the wall and see what sticks last year. I like that. There's a little more certainty with that, with that rotational depth chart in the backcourt. Yeah, the thing with Cop that's is always a factor with him is like, what's the matchup on the other side? Who's he got right. to defend defensively? Um, yep. And I don't know. Here, that... Here's the thing, real quick. I know he's not a great defender individually, but I thought about this. It's like I watch him. I, he bugs me a lot. I know a lot of Indian. If I get texts every game, just like <laughs> five anti Miller Cop texts, six pro Miller. I mean, I don't know what to think of this right now. Um, yeah, but he's, he's improved a lot defense, on that end to be sure. He is. I mean, he's they're... gotten better. I agree. And our interior defense behind him is so good. That it's you don't need to have like three Gary Paytons on the perimeter, right? You can get away with having a liability or two. I mean, you had Parker Stewart and Miller Cop last year, both playing big minutes. Parker Stewart a much better liability defensively, in my opinion, than than Miller Cop, and we were still an elite def- elite team defensively by all metrics. So it all starts from the back end. If you can defend the rim, you can kind of play smoke and mirrors in the perimeter. So I think Miller's ability to make shots and God, if he does stuff off the dribble all year, I don't know if that's going to sustain. It's opportunistic, so I'll take it. You got to keep playing them. You do. Now this matchup is sort of a, a tricky one, but I think long-term you got to ride with that. Yeah. 
I mean, the other the other matchup is obviously Trace, and he's seen uh, his fair share of of double teams in the yep. last two games uh, for sure. So, you know, kind of scouting report from your perspective on how Arizona, how you'd at least expect them to handle him based on what they've done with other bigs they've played uh, the rest of the season. You know, Ballow, a guy who's really long, could probably see them leaving him one-on-one. Um, but, but how do you envision them playing Trace? Because that really is the first domino that dictates uh, what, what version of IU you may see or, or at least what the offensive attack looks like. I think Lloyd's a great coach. He'll adapt on a game to game basis. It's not like a, um, I don't think he has like a, an auto double type of a blueprint. I think he'll look at last game and say, wow, you know, Trace really handled the, tri- the double teams pretty well. The triple double got a ton of notoriety. You know, I, I think he saw that and he might just think, yeah, maybe I stay home with cheaters and, you know, let TJD get 30 and, and, and we'll see what we get on the other end and, you know, and see the, see where the chips fall. Um, I think that's going to be an ebb and flow thing. Um, you know, we've seen Trace improve demonstrably as a passer, decision maker out of the post. Uh, are we all the way sold that he is like a reliable inside out trigger man from the post? I'm not yet, but he's taken big strides. Maybe if he struggles early, uh, Lloyd keeps it as like a one-on-one, you know, two bellas on him or ballow on him. Uh, but I, I would expect to see Lloyd mix in some, you know, he'll have some tricks up his sleeve. I think he's a great coach. So I, TJD will be challenged, I think, schematically on that end for sure. All right, so that's interesting. I mean, Tommy Lloyd is in his second season. He's already proven to you that he's a great coach. What do you think about Woodson? Yeah, maybe so great. Maybe a step just because he's so impressed. Yeah, but you're clearly viscerally impressed. Like there's things that he's done that you're impressed. So I'm curious. I mean, Woodson's been coaching the same amount of time. I'm curious what your impression is of him. I think their identity is more ironclad, and I think that matters. Um, Like our identity is, is coming into shape, but not fully formed. Right. I think we finally realized that with this team, with TJD as a weapon inside, we have to be truly built around him to play inside out. And we're finally getting the evolution of his passing and then the cutting and spacing off of that. Right. It's not as as perfect as per- perfect as like St. Mary's. Right. We looked at last year, how good they are at, from the post cutters, everything, how they move around their their big guys is is designed. We're more sort of just kind of reading, reacting. We don't have like a whole system around that. It doesn't seem like yet. But I like that we're moving toward that because that's the best version of this team. It's not like, uh, hey, let's go to TJD this time or oh, let's force it a million times. Like there's really, I think, some purpose and some some uh, connectivity with how we're playing out of that. So all that ties back to Woodson. And I think he's a part of that. I think he deserves credit. I think he's getting there. Um, I'm not ready to call him an elite coach yet. Like, like what have we really accomplished? I think he has this going in the right direction. But let's not crown the IU coach year two like we seem to do every time there's a new regime. You know, let's kind of let's see it play out with some actual proof in the pudding first. So. Yeah. Your, your twos always seem to be pretty interesting. New right. IU yeah. Coaches for better or worse. <laughs> I was there in 20. Uh, well, yeah. So I was, I first year was the first year of the Korean era. And then obviously year two of the Archie military. Yeah, that was interesting too. So yeah, no, it's sort of a, let's just, let's let, let's let it play out. first. Yeah. And then you have the massive swings of the second Davis year and the second Samson year. So year two, always interesting. Um, <laughs> as far as trace goes, you know, we're obviously, I mean, we are just, you know, neck deep in Indiana. And I think it's its so easy to be impressed by how he's played this year because he's succeeded in different ways. We talked about it earlier. The Xavier game demanded scoring and he put up 30 points against a good front court. The Nebraska game demanded passing and he was there to get yep. a triple double. I mean, he's just, he's adapting to the game. 
where do you kind of put him right now in the hierarchy of college players? I mean, obviously, Edie is just doing ridiculous things in West Lafayette. But where, where do you kind of rank Trace right now nationally? Yeah, I mean, if just ranking him amongst like the bigs, I think it's easier to sort of line him up against like position, which was a popular offseason topic. I, I actually said I think I'd rather take Edie before TJD before the year. Um, it was just a matter of time before Painter unleashed him, and now he has. And I just think it's, yeah, he's vulnerable sometimes in pick and roll defense, but that's such a nitpick given what he offers you. That's just a sheer auto cheat code up front. I think I'd rather have TJD right now than Hunter, than, than Dickinson from Michigan. I think I'd rather have TJD than, than Oscar, who just won player of the year. As crazy as to say, he's not 100% healthy. That's part of it. But I think his evolution as a player has grown a lot more over the offseason than him. Um, I, I'd even maybe take over Sonogo from UConn. I mean, UConn's got a whole army of bigs. That just scares me as a whole other topic. But mm-hmm. he he might be my second big. I, even Timmy is like close to a wash for me. Timmy's like more polished with his post moves, but TJD's defensive value is is paramount. And I think it's like the linchpin of this whole team's identity. You know what I mean? Like without our defense, what you know, what would we what would we be? I think we're coming, we're learning what we are in offense. And I think we're getting there. But defense has always been our bedrock and. TJD is like the epicenter of that. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so as, as we think about IU attacking them offensively, what's a, what's a weakness uh, of Arizona's defensively that IU might be able to exploit based on personnel, specific matchup. I think on the perimeter, be. they're beatable. I, I, I don't think they're, they're as quick or as athletic on the perimeter as they were last year. I think it's a game where if X locks in he can he can get in the lane and do some stuff right so the question is when he gets to his spots does he make the right decisions um you know is it is he making his floaters can he get to the rim and finish is he finding the right you know kick out option but it's a game that sets up well for him i think especially if it's in the open court i mean x can get out of control in the open floor but that's also where he can you know his his jaw dropping talent really can shine though too so it's a game that can go a lot of directions. It's like I can see one, either team losing by 20 or winning by 20 in this game. I do think IU is in the better form, though. I, I It's it's going to be tricky, but I, I do think we're catching them at the right time. I think that does matter. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think it's important to note, you know, I think because of, you know, Indiana, it's kind of felt like we're in this constant rebuilding process for the last few years. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we schedule this game. We get the game against North Carolina. We schedule this game against Arizona. We schedule this game against Kansas. And I think viscerally, we kind of feel like the underdogs in these games, you know, but North Carolina came in, they were losing. And so we kind of entered that game as the favorite, you know, needing to take care of business. And, you know, I mean, you look at all the predictive metrics, they all kind of have this game close to a toss up or Indiana favored by one or two. And I think that's important for Indiana fans to understand that this is not like underdog Indiana going to face a really good Arizona team. This is a really good Indiana, talented Indiana team going to face a really good, talented Arizona team. And, you know, as you said, it could go some different ways, but it's at least a 50% chance for Indiana to win this game. You know, and I think it's a game that if you're an Indiana fan, you should expect to play well and compete admirably on a national stage at a minimum. I think you kind of have to toe that line. Like, right, the confidence that's been built up from the success so far this year is huge. Probably means more to the fan base, to be honest. Um, I almost like the underdog mentality that we have something to prove mentality when you're actually like as good or better than the other team. I think with UNC, you had that. Now I know the whole Baycott asterisk is, you know, him hundred percent healthy. Maybe that game's different. I don't, I don't know. I think we were just the better team. And I think, but we entered that game with the mentality and energy that we have something to prove. And that's everything, right? We have to carry that over into the Arizona game, right? We're not at the level where it's like, 
we're the hunted, we're on the mountaintop, everyone's coming for us. We're still in that, like, we're trying to become the hunted, even though I think we are good enough to be the hunted right now. That's yeah. sort of a stupid cycle. But I think that matters. Like, in handicapping, betting, that's sort of a big, you know, if you're betting, like, a home dog who's actually the better team, that's, that's like, the best bet there is. And I think it's what Indiana has had going for it against UNC. They have to parlay that against Arizona. Because I think right now, they are slightly, slightly the, the better team. So, um, well, yeah, neutral courts. We'll see what happens. That's always random, you know, but I, I think we're in a good spot here timing wise. And we're not going to get a chance to talk to you before the next big game, which is against Kansas next week. Give us your kind of quick overview of that game. Another game where I think KU is not as tenacious as we probably thought coming into the year. Um, they have some real question marks roster wise and they're young. I think, I mean, just look at that game tonight with Rutgers and Ohio State, right? Ohio State is favored by seven. They played really well. Um, it's probably a game where you think they maybe blow out or take care of Rutgers easily because of Rutgers away from rack assumption, but Ohio State's young. And I think that matters as you get into these high profile, high leverage games. KU's got a lot of freshmen they're relying on. I think Grady, Grady Dick's awesome, but they got some freshmen at key pieces that have to make plays. I think IU's experience will matter a lot more in that matchup. Arizona's got some older guys, but KU, I think especially, that's one where we're going to be well positioned because we have some experience and we have, what, three big, big games under our belt where we kind of know who I kind of hope this Arizona game has some crunch time moments to it where we can find out what we have in those moments to use that in the KU game. Yeah. It'd be nice to win by 30, but, but you'd like to learn something um, from this one that you can take to that next one. I'm curious as you kind of look down the road with this Indiana team, is there any player or what player do you think their role right now will be drastically different by February and March? And that could go either way. You know, a guy like Race Thompson, who's been struggling, maybe his role is less. A guy like Tamar Bates, who has a lot of potential, his role could be more. Do you see yep. that kind of in the cards for any players or do you think it'll kind of stay how it is right now? I think it's going to stay fairly on plane. Um, the one change, the one, I guess, big deviation, which would be probably a good thing, honestly, like the... Malik taking some of races minutes, right? Like a little bit of a, maybe not a timeshare there, but, but I just think he's so good defensively, man. Like, I mean, his, his offensive instincts are well, are wise beyond his years. He's a great, he's even a good passer. He's just a finished product, man. Like I think we have to give him every opportunity to be, if not a star, like an all conference type player um, with the usage and with the minutes to do so. Now you can't play him TJD and race big minutes together. That's just too jumbo of a lineup. I don't like that. Um, as much as race thinks he can shoot three sometimes, that's just, just not really what he does. I, I like to see that maybe, but other than that, I think what we have here is a good rotation where you can kind of, like I said, pick and choose your guys off the bench based on matchup and based on just kind of hot hand. Um, like I want Bates to hold that role right now as sort of that fifth ish starter. I want Geronimo and Galloway to kind of be in the mix where they're not relegated to like afterthought who knows what I'm getting in, but like I, they, they know they're getting 10 minutes a game and they can give you 20 on a good night and a good matchup, or they can give you a five in a matchup. That's just not really theirs. Right. Where Miller's going off shooting a well in, in a, you know, a grinded out big 10 type game. So I actually kind of like what we have now. And that's been my whole issue with Woodson last year is like just too much, you know, volatility in the, in the rotations, finding some stability early on, which I think we're starting to do now is huge. So I, I don't actually want to see a ton of change, to be honest. All right, man. Well, I know you have family stuff going on, so we really appreciate you coming on here and giving us your time. My last question for you is just kind of a general Big Ten question. You know, the big narrative before the season, Big Ten's going to be down. 
You know, I think we're still kind of waiting to see if the Big Ten truly has an elite team. Purdue kind of looks like they might be. Indiana has shown shades that they might be. But, you know, we'll see as, as the season goes on. But it's pretty clear the Big Ten is deeper with good teams than people gave it credit yes. for before the season. Yes. Yes. What has surprised you the most? And kind of as you handicap it right now, who are the three or four kind of favorites that you really see being there at the end? I think Purdue, Illinois, Indiana are a clear top three to me right now. Um I think Michigan still has the upside to be in that conversation in two months. I mean, they're just really even without Llewellyn. Yeah. I think the, the Doug and Daniel kids really good, the freshmen and they have some other options. Um, yeah. Michigan's a team I wouldn't sleep on. Iowa's really good. Maryland's really good. Michigan state's really good. Ohio state's really good. They have a ceiling to some degree in my mind. I think Indiana should feel safe that they're a perch above them. Um, it's just so, I mean, Penn state, Wisconsin, Rutgers, <laughs> I was going to say, you haven't even mentioned those teams yet. Like Nebraska. How good is Nebraska right now? I mean, they've been phenomenal. So, if yeah, if Nebraska has Griezel, I think it's a different game last night, by the way. But anyway, Mm -hmm. it's a deep team, and it's a conference where any night on the road, you're going to have a chance to lose. I still think Purdue, Illinois, Indiana are the three best teams, and I would call them national title contenders in this landscape that has a real topsy-turvy, unclear elite, right? This isn't 2021 with Baylor Gonzaga, it's like, all right, we're all just waiting for that to happen. The entire, right? They're, Houston looks really good. They're awesome. But I don't think they're invincible, right? Gonzaga is clearly vulnerable. Texas is clearly vulnerable. Um, Duke, Bama, uh, Tennessee. Can't, I mean, there's a lot of – it's a year where Indiana should – yeah, it maybe not be your, your – it's not like the team that you built 2013 with Zeller and Depot. It's like this is the team, chips all in. Right, it's close, and I think in this year it's good enough to maybe make a run and, and get hot and, and cut down the nets. I think Indiana is just inside that, you know, that cut line along with Illinois and Purdue and a few others. That it's really a wide open field, so it's a it's a blessing for IU, uh, a team that's really really good, fringe elite, maybe not bona fide elite like we've seen in the past because this year you don't need that to win it all. It's going to be a fun season, man. Fun season. I, I mean, the Big Ten is going to be yeah. a bloodbath. It's not going to feel fun at times. But <laughs> no. You know, if you're like going you know, to get, Iowa, are you serious? Like getting like an Iowa 15 or 30 from three, and you got to go to Penn State and play their shooters, and you got to go play a war at Rutgers, and then Wisconsin's the whole, you get caught in the mud. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much, man, for giving us your time. Everybody listen to the Three Men Weave. Check out their new YouTube channel. And uh, we really appreciate it, man. Gentlemen, love you guys. Uh, hope to be back sometime. Go Hoosiers. Absolutely. Right. Thanks, Matt. Go Hoosiers, indeed. All right, everybody. The great Matt Cox from Three Man Weave. Appreciate him joining us. And uh, that was a good segment, too. Andy, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for the Arizona game. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is your, uh, what is your gut feeling on this game, Andy? Um, I think it's, I mean, it's going to be entertaining, I think is my, my gut feeling. I think it's going to be up and down. And I think in some ways... Uh, that's certainly how Arizona wants to play. But I do think when you think about X and some of the things he struggled with uh, in recent games, I do think that maybe is a way that he breaks out of it a little bit, gets some opportunities in the open floor, uh, able to able to see some shots go through the basket and, and really kind of uh, play in transition. I know there are times when the thought of him playing sped up is is can be terrifying to, to people. But I, I think uh, in general, it might be kind of the, the elixir to get him uh, yeah, back to back to what he was doing before. So I think in that regard, I think it'll be fun. Um, you know, chance for Trace to get up and down. Ballo likes to get up and down. I think that that'll be an interesting matchup. Just just lots of good matchups uh, on the floor. And I know Matt talked about uh, potential 
X uh, trash talking with Courtney Ramey. I think uh, we can throw Kirk Crease in the mix as well. A lot of uh, a, a lot of a lot of level headed uh, conversation on the basketball court. I'm sure to be had uh, by the combination of guards who will be on the floor. But uh, great great opportunity for IU. And I think we talked about this after the North Carolina game, where you looked at those big four games in IU's non conference and said, if you can get out of here two and two, and this is certainly more from a fan perspective. The players aren't thinking of it this way, but it's like. You already got the first two. You're a little bit playing with house money at this point. Can you find a way to get? Can you find a way to get another one? Um, and I, I think they. I think they can. I, I think it'll be a close game and uh, a very entertaining one. Uh, a, a bit of a departure from uh, some of the uh, tackle basketball that we've we've seen uh, <laughs> last weekend for sure. It's why these games are so good for Indiana to play, to really have, you know, an NCAA tournament like experience, uh, you know, early in the season that you can draw on once you uh, once you get there. That game, 730 Eastern tip, 630 Central. It is Gus Johnson and Bill Raftery, which will be fun for all. We, of course, will be here. Are you on that postgame show? I can't. Remember. Yeah, I'm planning to be. Yep. Very nice. So we will be here immediately following that game for what should be a very fun show. So thanks to Matt for joining us. Can't wait for that game on Saturday. But we have another segment of this show coming up, and we are diving into the mailbag, the Twitter mailbag tonight. So beware. A lot of crazy questions coming up, but we'll have fun answering them. That's next. That was good. I don't know how those guys follow that many teams. <laughs> I I know. I feel like I used to be that person. And I know some, I feel like sometimes you still treat me like I'm that person, but I don't know that I'm that person anymore. I, uh, just just keep the illusion. Just, if, just, over the course of time, you just lose the ability to have that much time to keep up on, on that. But I'm always just dumbfounded listening to them talk about some of these teams and these like obscure conferences. I mean, I feel like I sometimes struggle to, you know, know some of the, like if you ask me any, literally any question about Minnesota this year, no idea. Absolutely not. Oh my God. Uh, other than they're I don't getting know. Just absolutely run out of the gym uh, against Michigan. The last I saw, but, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure I could name more than two starters. Uh, Dawson Garcia and the dude and the, that made all Jameson, the tough shots. Jameson Battle. Yeah, Jameson Battle. There, right? I think yeah. that, that might be the only two guys I can name. Nailed it. That's all you need. All right. That is all we so, need. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Raftery and Gus Johnson, just a, just a marginal upgrade over, uh, over Stephen Bardo. Yeah. Just Ted. <laughs> just, just a little. <laughs> just a tad. All right. Let's hop into this. Um, we'll just get through as many as we can until you got to bounce and then we'll sure. get on out of here. All right. Sounds here good. we go. <clears throat> Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than hand a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Thank you, Romeo. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms, and we are wrapping up another episode of Assembly Call Radio. Our thanks again to Matt Cox from Three Man Weave for joining us for what I thought was a great conversation about uh, Arizona. A lot of insight from him. Make sure that you are listening to them. If you're going to subscribe to two other college basketball podcasts besides ours, make it Titus and Tate and make it Three Man Weave. Two best shows out there. Um, and I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons I like those shows is you've got an Indiana perspective on those shows, um, which is always nice to have for an Indiana listener. Um, Andy, we have got, uh, we've got some fun questions to get to. We have one that was submitted from our community. It's from our friend Phil. 
Uh, and Phil says on YouTube, look for George Carlin shell shock under three minutes. Why? He is describing the way IU fans look at our current basketball success. No matter how this team performs, our previous battle experience dictates our reaction instead of watching the current team as it is. What will it take for our fan base to believe? He is so right about that. <laughs> that was never more apparent than the Rutgers game, really, um, for better or worse. So, and, and I, you know what I think that game did show is actually how fragile the kind of belief is that the fan base has. You kind of feel like, okay, I really believe in this team after the North Carolina game, and then there's one bad performance and a lot of old thoughts flood back, and you don't have the foundation of success to really, truly believe. So what will it take in your mind for all of us to truly believe? Man, this is a great question. I've been thinking about this, uh, and I've not watched the, the clip that he talked about, but I, I've been thinking about this the last, you know, few weeks because you know obviously the Rutgers game happens everybody's disappointed and 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 probably overreacting to a certain extent I would put myself in in the same boat and then you look ahead to the Nebraska game and you're thinking like everything about this team says like this should not really be an issue and I found myself thinking oh man I don't know what in the and then Nebraska beats Creighton you're like oh, maybe this won't be as easy as I thought and even yeah. as they start to like creep back into the game yesterday I've been trying to I think somebody asked a question about this in the offseason in terms of like kind of how we watch games. I've been trying to do a little bit less of, I think it was you maybe who said, you know, tried to get away a little bit from the, you know, making tons of notes and writing this down and, and charting different stuff. And so I've been trying to do that, particularly on the shows that I'm not on. And I just found myself last night as the game starts getting close. I'm like, God, come on, you can't <laughs> blow this game and you know, whatever. And everything was fine. Um, so I don't know what it's going to take for me personally. I guess this is the short answer to the question. I, you know, I, I think being able to go into some of these road environments and and show some resilient in-game resilience. I think that I think the team has shown, in large part, some game-to-game resilience. Um, you know, these last couple of games are a fairly good example. I mean, they really came out. Could tell there were a few things they focused on after the Rutgers game leading into the Nebraska game and, and responded well. And we can say, you know, Nebraska's not that good, all those kinds of things. But I think you've seen some game-to-game ability to bounce back, but I don't think we've seen a lot of the in-game ability to bounce back and really get over the hump. I think the Xavier game gave people some hope that maybe that was coming or maybe they were farther along in that path and and things like that. But you know, those are things that you can look for in these Arizona, you know, these next two games against Arizona and Kansas because then you're going to have a few weeks where you're not going to learn a whole lot about the team. Um, but man, that big 10 schedule shows up. You have to have that. If you want to challenge for, um, the, the big 10 championship, you, you cannot let yourself just, you know, kind of crater in games. Like we've seen this team do over multiple coaches, um, in some of these situations. And, um, I, I don't know. I think that's it for me, you know, kind of starting to establish a track record of in-game resiliency is, is what I'll, I'll go with. Yeah, and honestly, on a macro level, season to season, like why do fans of Purdue trust Matt Painter, Michigan State trust Tom Izzo? Like, even when they have rosters that don't make total sense, they at least compete in the top half of the Big Ten. We haven't finished above 500 in the Big Ten, you know? I mean, so, you know, that's what we need to do is consistently start doing that. And as you said, do it game to game. And honestly, I think the other thing, is we need to build rosters that are better at the single most important skill on the court, which is shooting. And I think Indiana fans will have an easier time trusting teams that can shoot and play defense. Um, and I think when you have those two things consistently, um, you'll start to see some of that trust. And when you just win over a longer period of time, 
Um, okay, so we got some questions from Twitter. Let's get to these. The first one submitted from our friend Steve Morgan from Straight No Chaser, uh, who I had a chance to meet when they were playing here in Dallas. I took my wife. By the way, she had no idea what to expect, had never really listened to much Straight No Chaser, and absolutely loved it. It was a great show. So if you ever get a chance to see those guys live, do it. They're awesome, and then they hang out afterwards. You can meet them. They're just, they really do put on a phenomenal show. So that's my plug for our friends from Straight No Chaser. Steve's question, uh, who is the one player you would add to this year's team from this century who would make the biggest difference? So we can't go with Calvert Chaney because we would obviously add him. Uh, it's got to be from this century. And, you know, I think there's several different ways you could go here. You know, like Christian Watford would be interesting. A guy who can play the three or four, defend a little bit, make some threes. He's interesting. I kind of have it narrowed down between two guys who I think ultimately I would choose one of them. I'm curious who you would go with. And Watford is not one of them. He's on my honorable mention. Well, I saw it. Well, yeah, I made the mistake of I looked at the run sheet and uh in, in an effort, I made the mistake of trying to prepare for the show is the real <laughs> mistake here. And uh, so I, I read the names you had. So I'll let you give the names you have. And then maybe I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that. I don't want to I don't want to claim your ideas as my own. So, you know, I think the, the two biggest things that this team could use are a knockdown shooter, obviously, and preferably a knockdown shooter who also has because, look, we can pick anyone from this century. This is from Steve's own criteria. Right. So we can shoot for the moon. And so I think the best guy who would fill what this team needs on the perimeter is Eric Gordon because he can go out and make shots. He was an uber-talented player who could also drive, uh, and he was a tough physical defender even as a freshman. So Eric Gordon is my number one. And the other guy who was maybe not an obvious choice, but he always comes up in these conversations is OG Ananobi because he's just such a phenomenal defender who you can put on the wing, who you could put down low. He can play the four, can step out. If you add him to this team with Trace Jackson Davis, you have the best defense in the country. And I'm not sure there's anybody else that you could grab who takes one unit to number one. And I would feel pretty confident that if this team had OG Ananobi to guard the perimeter, they're the number one defense in the country. I think I would probably end up siding with Eric Gordon just because I think the offensive punch would overall you know, make the team better. Uh, but having OG... <laughs> It would be so much fun to see this defense with OG on it. Uh, and he's just, he's such, he's just such a phenomenally talented player. Yeah. The OG piece is interesting. Cause it's, it's, it, he's one that he certainly showed flashes while he was at IU, but he's one that you can look at what he is now and then kind of do that. So it's like, what, what version of him are you getting? Are you getting him at what he, you know, maybe would have evolved into had it not been for the knee injury and different things like that. Um, yeah. I think the Gordon one, I, I would, I think your two answers are probably the best. Watford was the one that I thought of outside of what you had, just because he can be more of a stretch for and give you another guy who could be a reliable, uh, a reliable shooter, but still do some of the dirty work inside. If you really look at where you might need uh, an upgrade, but uh, yeah, hard to go wrong with either of the others. You know, OG gives you a lot of versatility both in the offensive and the defensive end in terms of lineups that you might be able to play and his ability to guard different positions and. Uh, and things like that. So yeah, he he's hard. If you if you look at what they really accomplished at IU, it would be hard uh, not to go against Gordon. If you look at what they really evolved into, OG maybe becomes the more tempting selection in in that regard. Victor Oladipo would be a reasonable choice too, because he gives you the defense, some of the perimeter scoring as well. So couldn't go wrong. Yeah, with and I think people. Guys. I mean, maybe in light of the last couple of games, people would probably say Yogi as well, right? Like somebody steady to run the point and things like that. But I don't think if you look at what I'm not at a point where I'm so worried with Xavier Johnson that I feel like that's the move that needs to be made. Um, 
when you when you look at it that way i think there's other larger question marks for me at this point if you assume a a, a healthy jalen hutchifino going forward i mean and if you know this is a back injury that lingers for a while maybe you do have a different answer I and mean, that maybe tips the scales a little bit more toward gordon because he's another you know playmaker that you can have in the in the backcourt in that scenario from seth would you rather finish fourth in the big 10 don't peep purdue no Big Ten title, but make an Elite Eight run. I feel like we get this question once a year. Or win the Big Ten regular season title, reach the Big Ten tournament finals, in parentheses, I, you can't actually win, it is known. That was my favorite part Fair of enough. the entire question. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. And then lose in the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament. What would you I pick? love that even in hypothetical scenarios, <laughs> IU winning the Big Ten tournament just cannot is, is a bridge too far that we can't even consider that that's possible. So... And I think that's, that's a universally held belief across the fan base. I don't, I don't feel yeah. like anybody would look at this question and be like, I think you'd throw it out just immediately if it was like, oh, when the <laughs> yeah. Big Ten regular season and Big Ten tournament is like, I can't, I can't even, yeah, I can't even process this to know what it would look like against another option. So, what would you pick? So, we're talking about for this this particular for this season? season. I find this to be a very challenging question. It, it is. I think if you look at it. if you look at it for this season and you think about what it could mean for recruiting, I feel like the scenario where you make a run of the tournament is the choice, even though there's really not a lot to like other than that. And it's not even getting to a final four, which I think is the part that hangs me up on it the most. I think if it was final four, then I would almost certainly say, you know, that was it. I think it establishes, an additional level of credibility for, for Woodson and being able it gets the program notoriety and getting through the tournament and all the things that, that would come. Now that sounds silly to say, because he should get equal amount of credit for actually winning the big 10 tournament or the winning the big 10, not the big 10 tournament, obviously throw that out, yeah. um, you know, and, and being able to do that. So it is actually a, a really good one. I think if the first one was final four, I would almost consider it more of a slam dunk. I lean slightly toward the first one. Um, but there is an element, to, you know, because they've won Big Ten titles in not that long ago. Um, I know. But the lack of tournament success is really what's kind of stuck with everybody. And so that's like the monkey that you get off your back with the first scenario. I know. My first instinct was to say Big Ten title. I think we're conditioned to think that as IU fans, you know. I, I was title, too. And the more I thought about it, I, I swear. I know. And a Big Ten title way. is a championship. But I think I agree with you, man. Like, I think if you actually think about the kind of fervor that would accompany an elite eight run uh, and actually like what that could mean for eyeballs and players building their brands and recruiting and like all this stuff that really matters now, I kind of think I would take that one too. And it's not to say that I would do that every year. Like I think eventually you need to win the conference, you know, tournament well, that's, or conference yeah, championship. I mean, that's, that's why I said but like, if it's this, this year, year, I think what I'd that take, could mean. Yeah. Yeah. I think I would take the tournament run. I think it would mean more for the program long-term. I don't necessarily like that. That makes me feel kind of weird to say, um, <laughs> but I do think it would be, I think it would be better for helping to use the season to propel the program, you know, forward uh, even more. Okay. This was a fun one. Uh, this is from our buddy chat mob, Chad, not since Randall L has IU had a two sport player with all the spots opening up on the IU football team. Uh, maybe this is less a hypothetical question than one that may actually need to be employed. Uh, which five IU Clearly players? Someone from the coaching staff posing as <laughs> posing as yeah. a listener, but okay, continue. Yeah. <laughs> which five IU players would be two sport threats 
and what position do they play? So I'm gonna I want you to give yours. I'm gonna give mine. I did enlist the help of my dad, former IU football coach and NFL scout Bob Morris, who we used to back when he was coaching at IU. I would go with him on recruiting trips, and during basketball season, we would go watch his recruits play basketball. Um, and so he has a, a particular skill at picking out just from seeing traits and athletic abilities, how a basketball player would transition to football. So he had some really interesting answers, but we'll give his last, uh, Andy, did you have any that really jumped out to you? Uh, well, I mean, I feel like to a certain level, there's one player with, with, uh, football pedigree, which is race Thompson. So I feel like you got to find a way to put him, uh, in some, you know, maybe that's as a tight end. That seems to be the traditional, yes. uh, basketball to football move, but I mean, his dad was a, a great running back, great running uh, back at, at Minnesota. At, at Minnesota, and so feels like he's where you would start, at least from a, a pedigree perspective. So I'll I'll take that one. I'll take that one first. Yes, um, and that's actually the one that my dad had first was Race Thompson at tight end, as a lot of people are saying. Um, and so I think that one makes sense. You know, I looked at Trace Jackson Davis as potentially like a tight end slash goal line receiver, just because of his height and his ability to jump and his hands. Uh, I had Xavier Johnson in kind of like a Debo Samuel role where he's kind of a running back, kind of a receiver, a little bit of a gadget guy offensively where you just get him the ball and kind of let him go. Um, I think you could also make an argument for him playing, playing corner at some point, just the mentality. And yeah. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. nobody's, yeah, I mean. He definitely he has the some, mentality for corner. There's no doubt. Yeah, about it. I, I, I like that. So, but I think he could he could go he could he could play both ways. That football team may need somebody who could play both ways. So let's uh, yes. let's keep it going. Yes, and to your point, my dad listed him as a corner. So that's what that's what my dad said. Uh, I said I, for Jalen, I feel Hitchens, vindicated that I've I've been in line with him a couple of times. So you're you're right good. online. Okay, so what do you say for Jalen Hutchinson? Because I had one for him and my dad did too, and they were different. Well, I know what you had, and that, so now I know that that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> so I, I would guess – so you had him as a quarterback. I would guess your dad would have had him as a, a safety, potentially. He had him as a wide receiver. Oh, really? But I could see safety, too. He would probably just be successful anywhere because he's that kind of athlete. Yeah. Uh, I said – and then the other two that I had were Trey Galloway as a safety and Jordan Geronimo as a pass-rushing defensive end. Um, and those he had Trey Galloway as a three, four outside linebacker, pass rusher and passing down. So my dad really got specific uh, with this. And then for Jordan Geronimo, he had him as a defensive end. And he also had Malik Renew as a tight end. And, and I asked him about yeah. Trace and I said nothing for Trace. And his response was he looks like a basketball player and a good one. Tough to see him transitioning over to football. All the big guys could be tight ends, but the other two guys have more bulk. Uh, Trace should stick to basketball. <laughs> OK. All right. So there, there we go. <laughs> there you have it. Uh, were there any others that uh, that stood out to you? Not really. I was trying to think. I mean, you don't see – trying to think of, like, somebody who's a little bit – like, CJ Gunn's a little bit lankier at this point. So, like, could he be a wide receiver potentially? Uh, a little bit bigger wide receiver or something like that. I feel like you could find a spot for Caleb Banks on the football field too. I just couldn't, couldn't place yeah. exactly what that might be. Yeah, he could be, like, a big James Hardy type wide receiver, you know, just, yeah. you know, really tall, and he seems to have good hands. Yeah. So, anyway, hopefully none of these guys have to play football, but let's wait and see how the offseason recruiting goes, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll finalize that. Um, okay, we have time for a couple more here. Uh, oh, so here's a good one from Brock. What is your all-time IU hot take? Mine is, in 2013... God, and I feel like we talked about this on the postgame show when this happened. If IU beats Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament, they avoid Syracuse and play at Lucas Oil in the Midwest region and route to at least a Final Four. 
Oh man, that's a good one. I don't know that I I don't know that I have one that I mean I I read this earlier and nothing immediately came to mind. I mean I feel like a lot of the you know, oh, you have missed opportunity missed opportunity well uh, you know kind of the missed opportunity type things uh but I don't feel like that's a hot take, you know what I mean? Uh some of you know some of those you know, I think about the you know missing banners that whole concept and that that book. Yes. I I feel like that stuff isn't a a hot take at this point, at least certainly not to IU fans. No, it's still a scorching hot take to me that Indiana would have won the 1993 national championship if Alan Henderson didn't get hurt. That yeah. is that is my forever hot take. Um, Might have won in 92 if Ted Valentine wasn't officiating the final four games. Yeah, I know. Back to back. Back to back. Um, yeah, those are those are the big ones that uh, that come to mind. Yeah, I mean, but I but I do agree with Brock. And we talked about this the moment the tournament selection comes out. I, I think if Indiana was in any other bracket, that Syracuse game was just a particularly rough matchup. Um, I think they would have gone much farther uh, in that tournament. So agree with everybody there. Let us know if you have a hot take uh, that you would like to remind us of. Tweet us at Assembly Call, and we'd love to hear what your hot takes are. Um, let's see. Okay, here's one from Mark. If IU goes, we'll kind of get into some of the more ridiculous ones now. Uh, if IU goes to the Final Four but hail to the victors is stuck in your head every day for a year. Do you take that deal? I mean, I know that it'd be stuck in your head every minute of every day. I mean, song could stuck in your head and then kind of, kind of go away every minute of every day. Well, it just says in in your head every day. Look, I have two young children. The amount of ridiculous songs that I have stuck in my head in any given day is ridiculous. Give me a Big Ten fight song. I will. I would almost just take the Hail to the Victor stuck in my head anyway, given some of the other nonsense that gets stuck in my head. So if, an, if, if a Final Four accompanies it, that's just a bonus for me. So this one was easy. I'm going with yes. I feel like I feel like I've aged out of that phase. So, I, you know, maybe maybe I'm not as, as eager to, uh, to get yeah. something else stuck in my head. But, yeah, I feel like I feel like you'd probably do it. Uh, okay, here is a fun one. Um, let's see. This is from Andy, and he says, memorable thing, not you, though. Memorable things that Andy Bottoms has said or yelled while sitting next to him at an IU game. Uh, and I just happened to have a few of these right here. I'm just dead inside. What are you looking around for? Shoot the ball. They beat us. We didn't even score 10 points. Hey, you shut up. I just want one guy who, when he takes a three-pointer, I actually believe it's going to go in. Just an absolute disaster. Oh, dear. You're a good man, Jared Morris. Well, at least you redeemed yourself there with that last one. Uh, can, can you think of any any particularly memorable things that you have yelled? Because it is kind of legendary, like your intensity at live games. It's shocking I really, to people who have never sat with you. I really I really don't. Um, I do remember, I think the game I sat next to you, I did. the referee did like turn and smile at something. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> But I do believe we were close enough that they heard and kind of like looked over and gave a, a half smile. Uh, I had a good, I think it was at one, this is at like one of the kids' soccer games. They made a bad call on who the uh, who the ball went out of bounds on, on the sideline, and it almost immediately went back off the other team, and we got the ball. And I yelled "ball don't lie," and the referee started laughing. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, from Nick, will Coach Woodson eventually get sick of the Miller Cop word of the post games, or will this become a long term IU tradition for generations? If you're not familiar with that, Miller Cop is giving players words that they have to weave in to their post game commentary. And so that's why you've seen guys randomly mention, you know, anacondas. And I think Trace Jackson Davis had to say 
like had to incorporate there was something about Star Wars or May the Force Be With You. So if you're wondering why there's kind of some awkward references being made, it's because Miller Cop is feeding these to players. My thoughts on this are, as long as it happens after wins, I don't think Mike Woodson is going to care in the slightest. He's comes from an NBA background. These are not the kinds of things that he is going to worry about. But if anyone's being silly after a loss, I think he would probably take that uh, to heart. So as long as they just use discretion and when they do it, I can't imagine he would give it much of a second thought. Besides maybe yeah. laughing at it. I think, yeah. I mean, I think from a, you know, camaraderie perspective, I think it's, I think it's kind of funny and it gives at least a little bit of intrigue to press conferences where people say basically nothing and are, are basically taught to say nothing or the yeah. same <laughs> thing. So, uh, you know, to see him have to weave something else in at least, uh, you know, I, I think for now, I, I don't think there's an issue with it. There's probably greater, uh, greater ills to, to fix than that. And finally, well, we have Grumpy who said, why? I, I don't understand this question. He said, why doesn't Archie run more plays for Trey to take step back threes? That question made my head hurt when I tried to make sense of it. Um, I don't know, Grumpy. I'm not sure why Archie doesn't do that. Uh, from Cree, who wins one-on-one? You, Andy Bottoms, or Ryan Phillips? Well, Ryan's lost a lot of weight, so... I know, he's in shape now, He's in far better shape than I am. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> That and his height advantage over me definitely don't bode well. I, I, the other thing I'll add, and I was talking to this about somebody else that um, that coaches the other day, was if we had to play with a men's ball, I would really not do very well. I've coached so many games with like a girl's <laughs> basketball. Like I feel like even like that tends to be what we have at home uh, and stuff like that. So I feel like if we play with a with a women's ball. I think I might be able to. I might be able to win. Just throw them off a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I pro- I would probably lose, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah. We'll Once you get to this age, just being in shape really is probably the deciding factor in whether you're going to yeah. win a basketball game. Yeah, that's so not a, Ryan has us yeah, all on that right now. Yeah, that's not a contest now. I'm going to win against him at this point, unless, unless he's really let himself go recently, but I, I don't believe that's the case. So. I don't think so. I, I on the other so. hand... <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> we have two kids, man. You know? Yeah. It's not an excuse, but it is. Yeah, exactly. Um. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us on this edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you, as always, to Bob Thompson for producing our music. And, of course, thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And thank you for listening. We will be back on Saturday as soon as the IU-Arizona game ends for the postgame show. Until then. Take it from me, Juwan Morgan. Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Here I come. This is done, Sony. What do we think Coach is doing in Las Vegas right now? Well, he sent us a picture of <laughs> a uh, a winning a winning bet that he placed tonight on Iowa uh, oh, to uh, to beat Iowa State with the caption "Who loves Fran McCaffrey more than me?" So. I think he's doing just fine. Uh, coach is having fun. You know what I was thinking though? We should we should take like fifty bucks and figure out a bet that we want coach to place. Like we should do like a community bet, you know, whether it's Indiana yeah. to win the Big Ten or some some kind of fun bet. So let's think about that. If y'all have any good ideas. Yeah, we got time. We can... He's yeah, he's making like a whole weekend of it. So yeah, we, he we is. Got we'll time Venmo coach some money. And uh and by the way, if you're in Vegas, 
you know, see coach, send us a tweet. I think people are using the hashtag Vegas Hoosiers. You know, coach is always up for seeing everybody. So I wasn't able to make it. I know you and Ryan weren't, um, but coach is there representing our show. And so uh, go see him if you get a chance and have fun. Let's go have a, uh, an awesome game on Saturday. Can't wait. That should be at a minimum. That should be two really fun hours of basketball. I think. Yep. I agree. But check back with me at 830 <laughs> on Saturday. Absolutely. And we'll see. <laughs> As Absolutely. always. Yeah. But join us for the postgame show. We'll tell you how much fun it really <laughs> yeah. was. All right, man. Have a good night, Andy. Have a good night, everybody. Right. And uh, Thanks, everybody. see you guys Saturday.